Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at 1211 1st Avenue North on the 3rd floor. Here at City Church, uh, talking to some other folks, we decided uh, that I would preach through the Apostles' Creed after Easter. And so I just sort of wrote down and broke down the Apostles' Creed, wrote out, okay, these are the different ways I'll break it down, and these are the dates. I just sort of sandwiched them next to the dates. I had no idea that we would be here on Mother's Day looking at the phrase, He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. This is, uh, if we believed in coincidence, this would be one, uh, but we believe that God is in control, and so this is no accident. Uh, Before I forget this morning, we have some lovely sunflowers um, in the front, and we'd like all of you ladies, whether you're a a mom, whether you are not a mom, any of you ladies, uh, take one, two, four, five, or six of those home with you. Um, They're beautiful. There are plenty of them. So, So grab some on your way out. Make sure you do that. So here we are on Mother's Day, and let's be honest, um, at times it is difficult to be a mom. Those of you who are moms know this. Those of you who are moms know that there are sticky fingers at all hours of the day reaching out to touch you and to tell you and to grab your attention and to grab your shirt, right? This is, this is hard. It's hard to be a mom. But one of the things that the church sometimes ignores is the fact that it's also hard not to be a mom. It's equally as important as moms are, so are all of the other women in our church. Whether that is women who have struggled with their fertility, whether that's women who have been single their whole life, no matter sort of where you find yourself on the spectrum, sometimes Mother's Day can be a great blessing, but sometimes it can be a source of pain. It can be a stark reminder of what's missing in your life. Maybe your mother is past, and, and that's hard. Maybe your mother with your, your relationship with your mother isn't what you wished it was. Wherever you find yourself this morning, whether you find yourself in that place where it's hard to be a mom, or you find yourself in the place where it's hard not to be a mom, all of us, whether we're men and women, can look at the story of Mary and find ourselves in it. And find ourselves in the story of Mary because she not only shows us sort of the side of motherhood where it's hard to be a mom. Can you imagine raising a child who was perfect? She also shows the side of things where it's hard not to be a mom. Some of those things that are are struggling. I mean, you think about it. Mary was engaged to Joseph and was found to be pregnant. That was not a common occurrence. That was scandalous, right? It would, it would be more scandalous than it is today. But even today, we so, still sort of find things like this to be at least a little scandalous, at least a little bit worthy of yickety-yak. And so Mary is a place where we find all of ourselves in. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to read the story of Mary and the conception of Jesus. And then I would want to begin to look through that story and see the importance of this part of the Apostles' Creed, the part of the Apostles' Creed where it says that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit 
and born of the Virgin Mary. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to stand up in just a second, and I'm going to read to you a chunk out of Luke 1. If you've read the Christmas story, if you're familiar with the Christian uh, story of where Jesus came from, this may be something that you've heard before, but we're going to look at it through the eyes of the creed and see what this means for us. So, City Church, would you stand as I read the Word of God? In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the same, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And you, and, I'm sorry, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the eighth said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. When people begin to list off their uh, problems with Christianity, their struggles with Christianity, very high on the list is the idea of virgin birth. Right next to resurrection, when you sort of think of things in the Bible that are unbelievable, there's certain things that we know, right? We know people don't rise from the dead, and we know that people who are virgins can't have babies. That's not how babies are made, right? Most of us sort of understand the science, the physics, the, all of that in general of how babies are made. This is not it, right? Uh, in the words of the 80s pop song, it takes two to make a thing go right. Normal way that a child is conceived is with a man and a woman. Even Mary recognizes this. This angel comes to Mary and says, Mary, you are favored by God. And Mary, you can just hear her going, uh, wait, what, huh? Right? It, I love the way it says, she tried to discern what kind of greeting this was. Right? If you had someone who you had never met, who came up to you and said, greetings, knows your name, and says, you are favored by God, most of us would be a little bit put off, a little bit hesitant. And so was Mary. Mary says, um, okay. And the angel says, no, no, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God is with you, and something incredible is going to happen. You're going to conceive 
and have a son. And Mary sort of raises her hand. You can almost see her sort of awkwardly raising her hand and saying, uh, but I'm, I'm a virgin. Right? This, this is not how it works, shiny angel guy. And the angel proceeds to tell her, no, 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 no. I know that's not how this normally works, but something different is about to happen. Something special is going on here. And he tells her that she is going to conceive and her son will be the very son of God. When we read this story, if we read it through sort of modern scientific lenses, we're sort of stumped. And yet one thing that we know is that not everything in life is explainable. No matter how many times we can try to measure something, not everything in life is containable on a data set. And so when we look at this story through the eyes of faith, what we see is not just a story of a virgin conceiving, it's the story of Jesus as someone who is fully God and fully man. You see, the importance of the virgin birth, the reason why we say, when we say the Apostles' Creed, when we say that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, what we're affirming, what we're talking about is the fact that because Jesus was born of a virgin, he was 100% God and 100% man. This is incredibly important because it's important to everything that we know about Jesus. And yet, it's something that's hard for us to wrap our heads around, right? Simple math tells us that you can't have two 100% in one thing, right? You can have 50-50, right? But you can't have two in one. Pert, shampoo and conditioner, is a lie, you can't have something that is fully shampoo and fully conditioner. And don't even get me started with my kids. My children use this stuff that's like body wash, shampoo, and conditioner. It's three in one. We're not even... Our mind... Our mind does not wrap around this idea. Because we understand how something can be 50-50. Right? We understand how... We, we even have mythology about things like this, right? What was a centaur, right? It's half human, half horse, right? We go, oh, I can wrap my head around that as a mythical being because it's 50-50. But when it comes to Jesus, when we say that he is 100% God, fully God, and yet at the same time, he is 100% man, this tugs at us. This makes us question not only is there no mixing, it's not 50-50, but he's also not a hybrid. You know, a few years ago, uh, I guess, gosh, it's probably been 15 years now when sort of Priuses first came out. I mean, th that was the, the thing, right? Everybody's, you know, in, in the next 10 years, everybody's going to have a hybrid car. And, and, you know, and that's what it was. And, and everybody was amazed that the Prius worked by having, it had an electric engine and it had a gas engine, and it would switch, between the two. And so as we sort of try to grasp on to Jesus being fully God and fully man, part of us wants to go, oh, maybe it's like switching. Maybe it's like a Prius. Maybe Jesus was a hybrid. Where he was, he was God, and then he would throw the switch, but he'd also be man, and then he would switch back. 
it's not the case either. You see, here's the hard thing. We cannot wrap our minds around the fact that Jesus was holy God and holy man. And so what happens, sort of our gut reflex as humans is to emphasize, is to focus on one side of that equation, one side of the nature of Jesus, or the other. Either we sort of lift up the fact that, yes, he was a man, he was fully man, and we focus on that and ignore the fact that he was God, or we do the opposite. We go, yes, he was God. He was God 100%, and we sort of downplay the fact that he was fully man. But when we do this, when we sort of elevate one piece of Jesus' nature, one side of Jesus' nature above the other, we lose the beauty of who Jesus is. Because for us to fully understand Jesus, we need to hold those two things in tension. The way some of us do this is that we sort of downplay. We sort of ignore or push aside the fact that Jesus was God. This is probably one of the most common things that our culture does when it sort of paints a picture of Jesus. It's very easy for us, and it's very common for us to hear that, yes, Jesus was a great teacher. He was a great teacher on par with with the Dalai Lama, with Gandhi, with all of these other humans. And Jesus was just like that. He's got some really great pithy sayings that can be really helpful in your life and make for great motivational. And, And his teachings are great. And so what happens is, when we start to emphasize the fact that Jesus was a man, wasn't God, and he was just a great teacher we begin to lose a part of who Jesus was. And not only that, we ignore large chunks of what the Bible says about Jesus and what Jesus said about himself. People often say that Jesus was a good moral teacher. If Jesus was a good moral teacher, and his mom said that he was conceived by supernatural means, and he never corrected her, would he still be good? You see, Jesus never corrected Mary. Mary told everybody, oh, no, no, that's not Joseph's son. That's the son of God. And Jesus never said, you know, Mom, actually, not the case. Why? Because it was the case. Jesus was fully God. And he said so himself. In John chapter 10, when he's talking about his relationship to God the Father, he says, I and the Father am one. We are one together. Jesus' own words tell us that he was not just a human. One of the famous writers, C.S. Lewis, was, was talking about this fact. And he said, you can say a lot of things about Jesus, but to say that he was just a good moral teacher is one of the things you can't say. Because Jesus didn't claim to be a good moral teacher. He claimed to be God. Either, C.S. Lewis says, he was lying, he was crazy, or he was right. And yet in our minds, so often, we sort of downplay this. We just want to say that Jesus is a good teacher, but he's not just a good teacher. He is God. So that when he speaks to us, when he speaks 
what he says carries the full authority of God. It's interesting, people who want to emphasize Jesus just being a good teacher oftentimes point to the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's kind of catchy. It's got all these nice sort of couplets. It's almost poetic when Jesus begins to teach about morality. But one of the things that he is saying in the Sermon on the Mount is very difficult for us to swallow. Because what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount is, your problems are not as deep as the things that you can see. You see, a lot of us like to think of the fact that, yeah, I do some stuff wrong. You know, I got angry the other week. You know, there, there were some people driving on 4th Street that shouldn't have had licenses. And yeah, I yelled and said some things in front of my kids that, I, you know, I, I did this thing wrong. And we sort of like to look around our lives and they go, oh yeah, that's probably not, that action wasn't the best action. And you know what, neither was that. And we sort of look around our lives and, and sort of cherry pick and go, yeah, I do some things wrong. But what Jesus, the God-man, holy God, holy man, in his authority said is, your problem is not just with your actions, it goes much deeper. He says this several times, he kind of goes through the Ten Commandments. He says things like this, he says, you have heard it said, you should not murder. I'm telling you something more. I'm saying, if you hate someone in your heart, you have already murdered them. Jesus has the authority to tell us your problem is not with your actions. Your problem is with your heart. Because while most of us in this room have hardly murdered anyone, all of us in this room are guilty of hate. We're guilty of resenting others. Just think about this idea that we talked about at the beginning, sort of this idea of the struggles of motherhood. How many of us look at someone in another station in life, at another place in their life, and go, ah, oh, that would be nice. Some of us who have kids go, I love my kids, but I remember what Saturday mornings were like, where I could sleep in till like 2 in the afternoon and nothing would happen besides I would wake up feeling good. And we look at people who don't have kids and can sleep in and go, I get resentful. Or maybe you've struggled to get pregnant. Maybe you've struggled to find someone to share your life with. And you sort of look the other way and go, oh, those, peop th those people have what I want. And how many times does that sort of looking across the fence, trying to see where the greener grass is, how many times in your heart and mind does that lead to resent? Probably more often than we care to And God says, your problem isn't that you're going around physically attacking people. Your problem is deeper down. It's hatred. It's resent. It's the way that you harbor grudges and frustration and have short fuses with certain people who have the life that you actually want. How many of you resent other people's bank accounts? Or the title on their business card? Or their level of fitness? Or whatever it is that they have that you want. 
Jesus as God comes to us and says, whenever you harbor resentment, it is just as bad as murder. That's something only God could say. The same is true in our life. Oftentimes we look at things like anger. And that sort of hot, explosive anger, or the sort of cool, simmering anger that lies underneath. And Jesus says oftentimes, your problem is not that you blow up too quick. The problem is the reason that you blow up too quick. Because you want to be in control. And what happens when you have your plans laid out, when, whether it's plans for what's going to go on this morning, or plans for what's going to go on in the next five years. I think I th- thought about this yesterday. I was, trying to, I was trying to buy Angie a Mother's Day present yesterday, right? At 6 o'clock in the evening. <laughs> Full disclosure, probably not the best plan. She keeps the money, you know, I mean, it's not that, it's not, yeah, it's that bad. And so I took Owen with me, and we were going to go over to her favorite little boutique on the 600 block of Central Avenue. And we go at 5.30, the shop closes at 6, and I am doing laps, circling the 600 block, looking for a parking spot. Just trying to find, and then it starts raining, and I'm like, I've got a six-year-old with me. He doesn't want to walk three blocks in the rain like I would. Like, I don't care. It's water. But I don't want to deal with him walking there. And so then finally, I'm sort of, I go, okay, my last pass. I'll make one more try to find a parking space. And then, and then I'll give up. And I, I even prayed about it. Right? I, even, I even said a little prayer about this. And so, Jesus. And so I pull onto Central Avenue after doing sort of a loop to get back on there, and as I'm pulling on, five or six cars up, two guys get into their car. And in my mind I say, yes, going to get Angie a gift, husband of the year, Mother's Day saved. So I sit in my car, and I stop, and I wait, you know, you kind of do the thing, you flash your lights at them, kind of tell them, all of a sudden, Central Avenue traffic starts piling up behind me. And it starts piling up. And these guys have gotten into their car, and they're adjusting everything. They decide they need a cigarette, so they sort of stop and light up a cigarette. And they're just kind of hanging out in their car in the parking space with their lights on. Reverse lights aren't on yet, but they're just sitting there. And so now I'm waiting. And all of a sudden, waiting for 15, 20 seconds while they get ready turns into like a minute. Minute drags on to two, and all of a sudden, all of Central Avenue hates me. Hates me for trying to get my wife a gift on Mother's Day. And so, what do they do? They all start laying on their horns. They all start yelling at me, right? So, I, needless to say, get frustrated by this situation, and I sort of start waving my hands, all fingers extended, mind you. All fingers extended, waving my hands in frustration. And finally, after about another 15, 20 seconds of about five cars behind me all laying on their horns in succession, I decide that I'm going to move on with my day. So Angie, I call Angie and say, hey, just so you know, I couldn't get 
Mother's Day presents for you or, or my mom. I'll have to get them tomorrow or something. And Owen, who's sitting in the back seat, pipes up and goes, Yeah, those cars kind of scared Daddy. He made a scared, he made scared actions. Just keep thinking I was scared, buddy. I'm, I'd much rather my kid think I'm a chicken than what's really true. But I was angry. I was in my heart yelling about that. Why? Why do we have that sort of visceral reaction? It's because we want to be in control. One of the reasons why we want to sort of downplay the fact that Jesus was God is because a little bit in the corners of our hearts, we actually want to be God. We have a very good plan for our lives. And if God would just get on board with our plan, things would be better. And we try to co-op God into what we're doing. And in doing so, what we do is we downplay the fact that Jesus was God. But the same is true on the other side. Some of us downplay the fact that Jesus was really human. And some of us do this because we don't think about it. We don't think about the fact that Jesus was a flesh and blood, real human, fully human, just like all of us. Which means that Jesus got a cold. Ever think about that? Like, can you imagine the God of the universe having a sneezing fit? We don't think about that because in some ways we sort of shield out the fact that Jesus was really human. Right? He got sick. He had aches and pains. After long days of walking, his feet hurt. Jesus was really human. And the truth of his humanity teaches us a couple of things. One of the things that the truth of Jesus' humanity teaches us is that flesh, that humanity isn't bad. We sometimes like to think that, okay, when I get to heaven, I'm going to get rid of, rid of this body. My body is a shell that keeps me from being the person that I need to be. And when I get to heaven, I'm just going to be a sort of transparent e ghost, and I won't have flesh, because this is where all the bad stuff is. And Jesus says, no, I made you with flesh. I made you to be human, to be real. Flesh is not the problem. Your sin is. And Jesus says, let me show you what I mean by that. I will put on flesh. I will be fully human, and yet what I will do is obey God, not just in my actions, but all the way down to my core. All the way down to my motivations, to my loves, to my desires. So when we begin to see that this is really who Jesus was, that he was really flesh, we can be encouraged by a couple of things. One is that Jesus can actually sympathize with who we are, with where we are in life. I read a quote this week, and it, it said that because Jesus was truly human, whenever we are going through hard times, we don't have to explain to him what's going on as if he doesn't know because he already knows and has already experienced it. He has already experienced those struggles that we are going through. It was interesting, I was reading this and I got a call um, from a good friend of mine that I went to grad school with. And, and Clay had just lost his job and, 
and Clay's had a, a tough run of it. He's had uh, moved his family four times in the past six years, and just things have just not shaken out the way Clay thought they would have in his life. And I sort of read this, and I said, you know, Clay, here, here's something I read, that Jesus can sympathize really with what you're going through, with the fact that you got fired by this job, with the fact that you're having to move and transplant your family again. And you look at the life of Jesus, and you can see very clearly that Jesus had the same experience. Jesus said at one point in his life that foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus was constantly on the move, constantly traveling. And so when we go through struggles, no matter what they are in our life, no matter what form that they take, the fact that Jesus was really human, that Jesus lost loved ones to death, that Jesus had friends who betrayed him, abandoned him, that Jesus, whatever situation we are, because he was really flesh, he really understands what we are going through. But the last thing to take note of when we think about the fact that Jesus is really flesh is that that is a not-so-subtle critique of your self-righteousness in life. You see, we like to think that, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of messed up, I'm kind of broken, I, I yell at other people in the car, you know, I do some things, right? But Jesus having to come in the flesh, having to actually be human to redeem us, is a critique of us. It's him saying, you can't. You have tried, and you can't. You cannot justify yourself. You cannot make yourself righteous in the sight of God. You can't do this. I'm going to have to put on flesh, and I am going to have to do this for you. So that Jesus comes, fully God, and fully man, in order to fulfill the law in order to do all of the things that we could not do. That you and I, through our choices, through the ways that we are bent, refuse to do. Jesus does on our behalf. You see, Jesus being holy God and holy man finds its full glory, finds its full meaning in the cross. Because Jesus needed to be fully man in order to take our place. He had to be fully man in order to live a life that was worthy to be a spotless sacrifice. But he also had to be fully God to make a payment big enough for you and for me. You see, the cross is the place where we see Jesus is God and Jesus is man in full on both accounts lifted up. Only someone who is fully God could save us. Only someone who is fully man should save us. We needed someone who could live and show us that it was not the flesh that is the problem, but the sin in our hearts. And Jesus never let that sin win. 
He faced down every temptation and then, as God, offered a perfect sacrifice. Jesus being holy God and holy man is the reason why you and I can experience grace. Can experience the favor of God that we don't deserve. Jesus had to be both in order for us to get that. It's interesting as we sort of look back on that story of Mary, I was struck this week by something new. Think about being in Mary's place, being a young woman, probably a, uh, a teenager in her mid-teens, and being engaged to someone about to be married, and God comes and says, I know that you're planning a wedding, but you probably need to start planning some baby showers too. And oh, by the way, the baby's not going to have a father. It's going to look illegitimate. Can you imagine how much that would wreck Mary's plans? Can you imagine how much that would change Mary's life and everything that would come after it? And yet, how does Mary respond to this news? God says, Mary, you have received grace. Here is what's going to happen. And Mary says, okay, what you have said, in the old King James, be that unto me, right? This is what's going to happen. I'm going to go through with it. Because of grace, Mary was able to be interrupted by God. And so you and I can experience the same. When we begin to see the goodness of Jesus, holy God and holy man, together at the same time, dying for us before we even knew that we deserved it, when we begin to see that, we can let go of our control. Because the fully God, fully man has died on our behalf and has our best interest in mind. We don't have to be resentful because He has planned out what we are doing. And we can trust in Jesus, a man who understands our situation because He's been through it, and the God who is willing to forgive us for all the ways that we do not live up to His plan. The person of Jesus is beautiful because He is fully God and fully man. May He teach us to trust Him more and more this week. In Jesus' name, let's pray.